page 28, July 30th, 2021. Hello all, and we welcome you to another edition of the Book Nerd Diaries. We're the bite-sized bi-weekly podcast, diving deep into the latest books we've crossed off of our endless to-read list. Please watch out for spoilers ahead, folks, and let's get our book nerd on. Till death do us part. These are probably the most definitive words that a couple will ever possibly say to each other, and they hold more weight than just about any other part of the traditional Western marriage ceremony. It's where two people hold hands, look directly into each other's eyes, and promise each other the rest of their lives. Even if the couple eventually divorces, or if one tragically passes away, the time they spent together can never truly be erased. You really can't make that serious of a commitment to someone, after all, without it changing you in some way or another. Even when they are no longer in each other's lives, they still leave behind small marks on each other's souls that last long afterwards, for better and for worse. Certain songs that they may have listened to together, the inside jokes that they may have had, and the memories that they made together, even the friends that they shared, never really go away, even if the relationship doesn't exist anymore as it once did. Our book today, the gothic classic Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, is essentially an intricately told ghost story without the presence of any actual ghosts at all. Instead of the typical poltergeists and shadow figures, Rebecca is rather about the figurative ghost of a marriage, as we follow one young woman's struggle to escape the shadow of her widower husband's late first wife. When dealing with the paranormal, one would typically call a priest or a medium of some kind to help. but. As our heroine soon finds out, memories are a far harder thing to banish. As our book opens, our unnamed protagonist has a dream of her former home, a sprawling, grand estate known as Manderley. It's now in utter disrepair, with the gardens reduced to just a tangle of weeds. This dream leads her to wistfully remember her first meeting with her future husband, Max de Winter. That day, she had been dining with her employer and patron, the aristocrat Mrs. Van Hopper, at the Grand Cote de Jour Hotel in Monte Carlo. Mrs. Van Hopper invites their fellow diner, who introduces himself as Max de Winter, over to eat with them, to which he reluctantly agrees. As they are total strangers, the conversation is undoubtedly awkward, but Mrs. Van Hopper still ventures to invite Max to a party she will be having at her hotel room the next day. I don't know about you, but I know I'm way too nervous around people to ever extend a party invitation to someone I don't know like that. Max, in turn, politely declines the invitation later with the carefully worded message he sends up to Mrs. Van Hopper in her room. Before the party can even happen, however, 
mrs van hopper suddenly falls ill with the flu and has to be attended to by nurses with her employer now temporarily bedridden and nothing better to do our protagonist heads down to the hotel's restaurant where she once again runs into max the two share a meal together then max offers to take her sight-seeing in his car to which she agrees they have a wonderful drive together until max suddenly displays some alarming behavior he drives the car to a cliff where he heads out and stands dangerously close to the edge staring off into the distance as if comatose after a brief moment max finally snaps out of whatever reverie he's been caught in and as a pair make their way back to the hotel before they part for the day max lends her a book of poetry he has which she finds inscribed with the name rebecca on the title page as the days roll on max and our heroine continue going for drives together nearly every single day while mrs van hopper is recovering from her illness this is naturally a fact which mrs van hopper is conveniently kept in the dark about at first the couple starts to grow closer the more and more time they spend together and our protagonist eventually asks max who rebecca is this inquisitiveness causes tension between the two as rebecca is naturally a bit of a painful topic for max rebecca as it turns out had been his first wife she had died in a boating accident just a year before a loss which is still fresh in the widower's mind soon after this bump in their relationship however max apologizes for losing his temper and admits that he would like to move forward with his life at this point the relationship between the pair starts to blossom further which makes the thought of their eventual parting no less than devastating for our protagonist when mrs van hopper announces that she and her protege will be leaving the next day for new york city our heroine is inconsolable at the thought of never seeing max again she desperately seeks the object her affection out and reveals the depths of her feelings for him as well as her reluctance to leave him in response max offers her solution if they get married our protagonist can come back to live with him instead at his manor called manderley our heroine agrees much to the great annoyance of mrs van hopper when max tells her about the engagement losing her assistance so suddenly had not been in her plans especially considering that the couple had been dating behind her back but there is little she can do to change their minds at this point she ultimately leaves for new york city alone and max gets married in a quick courtroom ceremony to his young new bride the new mrs de winter is thoroughly happy in her marriage to max as they share in their honeymoon together then finally go back to manderley as husband and wife the mansion is meticulously kept and beautiful but having come from a much more humble background than her new husband she finds herself much more out of her depth in this new world she'd found herself in than she had expected nearly every single aspect of life in this high society existence is expected to be carried out perfectly 
according to tradition, which puts a great deal of pressure on her. Beyond this, though, the spectre of Rebecca still hangs heavily over every aspect of life in our heroine's new home. It appears that very little has been touched at all at Manderley since Rebecca's untimely death. Her bedroom is left exactly as it was, as a memorial to the house's late mistress, and Manderley's staff still carries on their duties exactly as they had been under Rebecca, as if she were still overseeing their every move. More than anything, however, are the endless, awe-filled stories told by friends and staff alike of what Rebecca had been like in life, strikingly beautiful, whip-smart, and utterly confident in who she is, seemingly everything the new Mrs. De Winter feels she is not. Under the weight of everything Rebecca had left behind, our heroine's confidence in herself slowly starts to crumble. How can a middle-class orphan with little to her name ever compare to a high-born aristocrat, who everyone seems to utterly idolize after all? Will Max ever truly love her as much as the memory of the wife he had lost? And how can she ever truly belong at Manderley when Rebecca refuses to leave? This book first vaguely came to my attention a while back, mainly by name alone, when it came up on lists of classic books everyone should read. What made me finally pick up Rebecca for myself, however, was the amazing podcast Stuff You Missed in History Class, which actually featured a biography of the book's author, Daphne du Maurier, on a recent episode. Du Maurier seems like a fascinating figure all on her own, so I'd certainly check out that episode if you ever have the time. But what I didn't know before listening to it was that two of her stories were later immortalized in movie form by none other than legendary scaremaster Alfred Hitchcock. One of them, as you may have guessed, was Rebecca, and the other was the birds. I'd had no idea that the same incredibly talented woman had written both of these classics, so needless to say, my mind was blown by this discovery. I think what I loved about this book, upon getting to read it, is how it manages to be a sort of horror story without any actual horror at all. Instead of bloodthirsty monsters or murderers lurking in the shadows, the true scares come from that most universal, achingly human fear we all experience in our lives. The fear of not being good enough. Throughout the book, our protagonist slowly declines in a downward spiral of self-doubt to the point where she is nearly driven to madness. This growing sense of paranoia is deftly showcased in the fact that our lead character is never even referred to by the first name. Instead, she is only ever called Mrs. De Winter in the text. Our heroine, in this subtle way, is almost reduced to a secondary character in her own story, known only by her own husband's last name, and the title she inherited from Rebecca. Even in the title of the book itself, Rebecca's name overshadows everything else, giving you an instant clue as to the struggle our protagonist is going through. Speaking of mental health topics, I will note here that this book deals with some pretty tough topics. 
while there is no major gore to speak of you will find portrayals of domestic violence and steeply toxic manipulative relationships throughout the story there is also an instant of someone being encouraged to commit suicide so i would encourage steering clear of this book if reading such content would be harmful to you taking care of yourselves is important folks in the end i would certainly recommend this book to all the goths at heart out there at its core rebecca provides the same slowly growing aura of dread as you'll find in the works of edgar allan poe or emily bronte so if you prefer creepy stories to scary ones then this one might be for you this could also be a fun read for any alfred hitchcock fans out there who may have seen this film adaptation and would like to dive into the source material i promise it's worth it that concludes our main discussion for today everyone but fear not there is still more show headed your way after this very quick break Are you an author, fellow podcaster, or small business owner looking to spread the word about your product or service? Then let us help you. We offer a number of affordable monthly advertising packages in various price ranges. So if you'd like to hear your ad here in future episodes, please head on over to our page at ko-fi.com bndpod and click on the shop tab to see what works best for you. Again, that's ko-fi dot com slash bnd pod then click on the shop tab we can't wait to work with you welcome back folks now that we're on the other side of our break it's now time to get even nerdier with a little segment we like to call the trivia corner in this part of our show we give you a trivia question that is related in some way or other to our book as rebecca was later adapted into a famous movie by Alfred Hitchcock. We simply had to pay homage to the filmmaker in our question today. Ready? Your question is, the character of Norman Bates from Alfred Hitchcock's legendary horror masterpiece Psycho was based on which of these real-life murderers? Was it A. John Wayne Gacy B. Ed Gein or C. Ted Bundy Your answer is B. Ed Gein Responsible for some of the most truly disturbing, disgusting crimes in history, the notorious Butcher of Plainfield has truly left his bloody fingerprints all over pop culture history. His monstrous deeds not only inspired Norman Bates, but a host of cinema's most famous fictional serial killers, such as Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs. Sometimes, truth really is stranger than fiction. My source for this question was Wikipedia. With that, everyone, we have finally made it to the end of our episode for today. We truly do hope that you've enjoyed this strange, macabre journey as much as we have. Before we go, I just have to take a moment 
to say thank you so much to Julie and Katie, a.k.a. one of the very best sisters a podcaster could ask for, for being our amazing subscribers on Patreon. As a small, independent operation, we really can't do what we do without your kind monthly support, so please give yourselves a pat on the back. For as low as $2 a month, you can join them too. But there's a host of other ways to support our show as well, which are 100% free. Leaving us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts, sharing our episodes on social media to spread the word, or telling the people in your life about our show are the very best ways to help our little program reach more ears. Small shows like ours survive on word of mouth, and every bit of your support helps bring us closer to making our dream of podcasting full-time come true. So please check out our show notes to find all of the links you need to start spreading the love. Next week, Friday, August 6th, we'll be dropping a brand new bonus episode just for our dear $5 and up subscribers on Patreon. And we'll see you right back here in two weeks to open another page of the Book Nerd Diaries. See you then, everybody. The Book Nerd Diaries is written, edited, researched, and hosted by me, Amber Wilchin. Thank you so much to the wonderful Astrofrac from Pixabay for the use of our new theme song, The Grand Entrance, and One Tamara Two for the music that plays during the Trivia Corner, which also came from Pixabay. Our wonderful podcast cover art was provided by Sincerely Media on Unsplash via Anchor. If you would like to connect with us online, please follow us on Instagram or Twitter at BNDPod, on Facebook at Book Nerd Diaries, or via our website at bndpod.wordpress.com. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes to send my way, please feel free to drop us an email anytime at bndpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, everyone, please be good to yourselves, because the world needs you. And don't forget to support your local library. <laughs>